Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for them. All right, it's the 18th of December, and welcome to Leicester Square Theatre for No Pressure to Be Festive, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. And now it's time to introduce someone famed throughout Leicester Square, mainly because his day job is round the corner. In this celebrity-obsessed culture, we're lucky to have bagged one of our very own, a man who's agreed to do a Christmas show because he's realised that this may be his last chance to win a Sony Award. Please welcome your host, Mr James O'Brien! Thank you very much, and welcome to No Pressure to be Festive. Lovely to be in Leicester Square. We'd particularly like to welcome those of you who travelled by public transport tonight and congratulate you on getting here without anyone filming you and posting it on YouTube. <laughs> According to TFL statistics, you are now more likely to be filmed on public transport than you are to travel on it. <laughs> we were going to start with some seasonal jokes about Europe. Nick and Al were keen. The panel agreed. Mitch and all the distractions were up for it, as were the technical crew, front of house, and the bar staff. Everybody loved the idea. But I've decided I'm in charge. I'm not in the mood. And I'm exercising my veto. And whatever your opinion on Europe and Cameron's behavior, I think even his Opponents must accept he has done a marvellous job of annoying the French. <laughs> and let's face it, there is a, a little part of all of us 
however Europhile, even Francophile we are, that can't help enjoying that. <laughs> this year, of course, we've also had the Arab Spring, phone hacking, and George Osborne blaming poor economic growth on the Japanese tsunami. We've seen the end of Gaddafi, the end of Osama bin Laden, and George Osborne blaming poor economic growth on the royal wedding. <laughs> the Greeks were bailed out. There were riots throughout England. And George Osborne was blaming unemployment figures on the Occupy movement. In fact, as we look at it, the only one who has done well out of 2011 is the manager of Blacks, the outdoor specialist, <laughs> in the branch right next to St. Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> Even the bankers are jealous of his bonus, which George Osborne has blamed on the weather. Thank you very much. We are delighted tonight to welcome some fantastic guests onto our festive panel. First, we have a comedian and actor who won the prestigious So You Think You're Funny competition at the Edinburgh Festival. He has appeared in The Thick of It and Sherlock Holmes and is presently starring in the BAFTA-nominated Rev. However, his many accomplishments are all put into the shade in the O'Brien household by his four series, count them, as Archie the Inventor in Balamori. Please welcome Miles Jupp. I meant, of course, the BAFTA-winning Rev, not merely nominated. Our next guest is a journalist, broadcaster, and no-pressure regular who describes herself on Twitter as a professional gobshite, which is a much more honest tagline than London's numero uno talk show host. <laughs> I mean, who'd call themselves that? Please welcome Miranda Sawyer. Joining, joining Miles and Miranda, a, a journalist and campaigner who was phoned by the head of the BBC's Natural History Department in 1985 to be told, you're so fucking persistent, you've got the job. He's also got a Sony Award. So I, for one, will be bothering him later to find out how he did it, because fucking persistence isn't working for me. <laughs> and I'm London's numero uno talk show host. <laughs> Please welcome George Monbiot. Uh, next, we welcome a genuine comedy legend, a Perrier Award winner, Saturday Night Live alumnus, author and coiner of the term sniglet, which he described as any word that doesn't appear in the dictionary but should. So please welcome, with a huge round of festi applause, Rich Hall. And finally, there was such a wealth of information about our final guest this evening that we spent some time narrowing down his introduction to just one comment. Um, in this comment, he was described as that very odd and increasingly rare creature called a sincere liberal. Quite a compliment, you might think. 
from David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> Please welcome Ken Livingston. And now the, uh, the Devil's Advocate, where we take a look at an issue from a contrary point of view. Tonight, proposing the motion that the Devil's Advocate believes this has been a dull year for news, <laughs> it's Alistair Barry. Thank you, James. So, we come to the end of 2011, the International Year of Forests. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, although the, wood, uh, the government did mark the occasion by attempting to sell off large tracts of woodland. Next year, they're planning to mark International Children's Day by reintroducing child labour. Nothing has happened this year. We know that nothing has happened across the channel because, thanks to David Cameron, our position on Europe is essentially la 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 and holding our breath until we're sick. Further afield, the Americans usually tell us what to do, and they've just pulled out of Iraq, so that means nothing's happening there. As we went into Afghanistan before Iraq, that means we must have finished off what we started over there too. Nothing is happening in Syria, because Mr. Assad says so, and nothing is happening in Egypt, because that's just how the military like it, just like in Burma. Now, we know nothing ever happens in China, and Japan is just keeping quiet and not moving about in case it knocks anything else over. <laughs> And Mr. Ahmadinejad insists nothing is going on in Iran, not even homosexuality. <laughs> it's been a difficult year for news coverage, as the news of the world had to shut down because there just wasn't enough news to report. <laughs> Though, God knows they tried everything to find some. <laughs> Speaking of God, not even he made an appearance, with the Higgs boson particle remaining just a Swiss rumour, a bit like Nazi gold and taxable incomes for the super-rich. On the markets, the banks are clear that nothing is going on and we wouldn't understand it even if there was. It's also obvious that nothing is happening in the city because I went on a camping holiday by a church once and nothing happened then either. The only thing that has happened this year was two pandas moving to Edinburgh. Now, they're called Sweetness and Sunshine, so it's safe to say that nothing's going to happen there either. <laughs> although they may adopt. <laughs> anyway, after a few months of Scottish captivity and deep-fried bamboo, it won't be long till they're flown to Libya to recuperate. <laughs> and so we prepare for 2012, which marks the 200th anniversary of the birth of Charles Dickens. What better way to mark it than by the reintroduction of chimney sweeps, bleak house prices, and a tale of two cities, one in EC1 and the one that the rest of us live in. Maybe the Mayans were right, and 2012 will mark the end of the world, which will be a relief to most of us, because clearly nothing else is going on. Ladies and gentlemen, Alistair Barry. Definitely one of the biggest stories of the year was that Arab Spring. There are two ways of looking at it, it seems to me. A, a huge popular uprising which started in Tunisia in January to bring freedom and democracy to the previously oppressed masses, or, well, very selfish behaviour by Tunisians to deny British people a cheap package holiday after the coldest winter on record. Uh, I imagine there's rather more to it. Rich Hall, where are you on this at the moment? Um... Uh... 
I feel that the idea that, that uh, countries led by a despot uh, whose main agenda is to kill all the Jews um, should be overthrown in favor of people who want to make their own decision to kill all the Jews. <laughs> So you see a, a cost. I'm saying it should be a personal choice if you're in a rent. You shouldn't be told. You should make your own decision. So, so the cost has changed, but the script remains the same. Well, yeah, I yeah. suppose so. Well, it, it, looking increasingly that way on... on uh, you know, you're talking to an American who's, you know, I'm no stranger to, you know, fixed ballots. <laughs> I think uh, they probably, uh, when, he, when Ahmadinejad, is that how you pronounce it? It'll do. I think those uh, ballots were probably sent to Florida. And uh, <laughs> that's how they came out the way they did. What about the countries that have actually successfully toppled their dictatorial that regimes? Would be one. They got rid of Mubarak, and now, of course, you've got this, um, what they don't call themselves slork, it's something like that, isn't it? This um, military junta, which is almost the same as Mubarak. Um, Tunisia, you know, people are protesting once more against the new regime they've got. And I suppose, you know, this is what democracy is about. It's something you constantly fight for. There is no fixed point at which it stops, and no fixed point at which you don't have to overthrow anyone, as we're finding in this country. Yeah. I mean, let, let, let's, let's be real. I mean, these people in the Arab Spring put their lives on the line, so they had the right to elect idiots like Sarkozy and Cameron <laughs> and all the others. You know, you have to ask, why did they bloody bother? <laughs> what, what is it you're doing next year, Ken? Uh, <laughs> 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 like, like the Apart from watching the Olympics on the telly like the rest of us. <laughs> like the struggle between Luke Skywalker and, and <laughs> the Jedis and all of that crap. Miles Jupp, there, 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 there is... Uh, well, I suppose in, on this side of the world, where we enjoy our freedoms, however much we may perhaps not deserve them, um, we did think perhaps the world was going to change uh, in the Middle East. It looks now as if perhaps it isn't. Yeah, I, I'm, I think from a sort of British point of view, when someone, uh, a group of people uh, appear to actually achieve something, uh, it's yet another reason for us to hate ourselves. Um, <laughs> really, I mean, people rising up and going, oh, we, can actually, we can actually make a difference, we can change things, and that's obviously not not our attitude here. Uh, we're sort of so institutionalised all the time and constantly, perhaps it's just, well maybe it's just me, but my wife's always having a go at me, she's always asking permission for everything before I actually, rather than going, rather than sitting at home going, I'd like to be in an Alan Akebourne play, why don't you bloody put one on, idiot? It's that kind of, it's that kind of dynamic It is exactly stage. like that. Yeah. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too sure, because dur during the riots here, the, the Iranian embassy issued a press office, wel uh, a press release, welcoming the English spring and, um, <laughs> and no, urging the authorities to exercise restraint. <laughs> Generally, kind of, you know, colonialism has, has been responsible for, for all sorts of terrible well, I atrocities did, I didn't and know. backing people, you know, well, no, I didn't particularly oh, know, no. but, you know, backing up people that seem to suit your, your own regime in areas where you hope your, you know, your, your, uh, your constituents won't notice is, is what they've done for years, and that's why everybody's kind of panicking now, because when, once, it, once those people have been removed, then it looks like the, the kind of, you know, more hardcore Muslim side will kind of come through, and that's why they did it in the first place. So there, there is a kind of but, but you don't want to acknowledge that, because obviously you want people to be, have 
to be able to express themselves and say, we don't like you, get, you know, knob off, we want somebody else. And then the, all the kind of, uh, the, the kind of real nutters go, yeah. aha, I'm here. I'm coming in, we're ready. Power for for 60 years, every progressive force that emerged in the Muslim world was crushed by Britain and America and France because we thought they might be a bit too radical and socialist. And having eliminated every progressive trend, you're actually left... <laughs> the to real radicals came out. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that, I mean, that fits your, your narrative. Yeah, is it conspiracy. I just read a book called Legacy of Acid with the history of the CIA, and even I'm shocked at just... Almost everybody was on their bloody payroll around the world. Yeah? It, was, it is absolutely Rich. pervasive. They wanted people that wouldn't threaten corporate interests. I've just read a book. You have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Called uh, chicken, chicken soup for the. Who moved my Who moved my revolution? <laughs> Aren't we being a bit uh, uh, premature to expect anything already? I mean, the very nature Maybe. of this question is that. Oh, has the Arab Spring worked? It was. It's not even Arab winter yet. It's you know. <laughs> That, that, I think that's I mean, you can't accurate. expect a revolution for all the... Oh, look, everything's great now. The dust has to settle. How does it play in America? I say here that we have, or I have, been surprised to... I mean, for my own naivety about what Miranda just described, the way that these regimes had been kept in place for, for so many years. I never gave a second thought to who was in charge in Egypt, to be honest with you. I didn't even know it was that oppressive because I knew so many people who went there on all-inclusive holidays. <laughs> and, and that was pretty much the same with Tunisia. That was the extent of our understanding. And, and I, I can't help thinking that if, if a sort of British liberal is naive about it, then your average American is, is possibly even less uh, aware. <laughs> aware. Of what's going on in Arabia? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they care. But could you, you know. sell it straight? I mean, I sense sometimes... They want their drone back from Iran. <laughs> they, do want, they do want their drone back. But they, Somebody threw some shoes at uh, <laughs> the president of Iran, and I'm, I'm sure they're breaking those down to study the technology now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it, it wouldn't be Christmas, of course, without a Christmas speech, and we don't like to brag about our connections here on No Pressure to be festive, but while our next guest sent her daughter to the Royal Variety Show... She said she couldn't possibly miss this one herself. Please welcome Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> Over the last 70 years of attending the Royal Command performance, I have enjoyed performances by the country's finest comedians, and sat through many hundreds more. <laughs> and now it's payback time. That's right, 86 years old and still more teeth than the Financial Services Authority. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, little bit of politics there. <laughs> Philip, by the way, cannot be here and sends his apologies. That was the first joke. It is, of course, at this time of year, our thoughts turn to those less fortunate than ourselves, which in my case is a very long list. <laughs> but please be assured that one is only too aware of the current plight and vicissitudes which our people are forced to endure. We keep in touch by watching the gritty social realism of television programs such as Downton Abbey. 
We noticed, for example, that my government was defeated in the Lords last week in an attempt to penalize those on state benefits who have empty rooms in their house. That was a relief. If that had gone through, I'd be in deep trouble. <laughs> we had the grandson's wedding this year. Don't know if you heard about it. Quite a low-key affair by our standards. The high point of the whole event was apparently the perfection of the bride's sister's bottom. <laughs> Unbelievable. Posh Totty's bum in a piece of tight silk and you lot abandon all revolutionary activity for another generation. <laughs> anyway, the big constitutional news is that we are making an addition to the crown jewels. A plaster cast of Pippa's buttocks which in times of unpopularity will be strapped to the haunches of the incumbent monarch to turn things round. <laughs> well, going to finish with some observational humour. You know what it's like when you're receiving a visiting head of state and you're riding through London together in a gold horse-drawn carriage? Just me, then. But there you are, making small talk to some distant potentate, waving to the crowds in one of the horse's farts. Well, I said to the head of state, I'm so sorry, and he says to me, that's all right, your majesty, I thought it was one of the horses. <laughs> well, it remains only for me to hope that even in these difficult financial times, you all have a very happy Christmas and a prosperous New Year. I know I shall. Her Majesty the Queen. David Cameron, of course, stood on the steps of Downing Street and praised the people of Egypt for taking to the streets against their government. Um, and then he had to dash inside to a meeting with the Met on the best way to kettle schoolchildren on a march. Um, protests, protests then, of course, broke out in Bahrain. William Hague genuinely shocked, genuinely shocked that they were using British tear gas on the crowd. <laughs> yeah, we never thought they'd use... I'd do the accent, but I've got a cold. We never, th we never thought they'd use our tear gas for riot control. <laughs> we understood it would be used solely to help contestants on the Bahrain version of X Factor to cry in front of the judges. Rich, do you feel that the uh, protests unfolding in London, I, I, I take on board exactly what you said about it being too early to call the Arab Spring. Do you, do you feel the protests in this city have any proper purpose? No. <laughs> and in part two. It's summer. It's summer, people are bored, uh, they're angry. And, uh, they got there in the autumn. It wasn't summer at all. It's winter now, by the way. December. In, 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 the the right. no, in the no, UK. The, the, the no, no, the the protests first. Yeah. Oh, that was oh, those protests. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nah, I stick with nah. <laughs> nah. Uh, no, I think those obviously were symbolic and uh, a peaceful protest and was probably, you know, precipitated the whole Occupy uh, Wall Street movement and it's something that's caught on around the world and, and though it's achieved nothing on its own, uh, I think it's probably the beginning of something. It, 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 the Wall Street one seems to be of a very different. Well, the Wall Street is, uh, you know, we're oh, we're we're you know, we're the one percent. Yeah. And we're going to stand up to Wall Street by sitting in a park under a tent beating a drum. See, if you put it like that's that, that's not going to work. Yeah. No, it doesn't. We're going to take over the subway because that's where you meet. 
the 1% is in the subway in New York. <laughs> Miles, are you uh, equally pessimistic, or does your youthful vigor imbue you with a little more, a little more hope? Well, yes. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not sure entirely what its uh, purpose in, in terms of stated aims. It seems to me more like a sort of flash mob for outdoor enthusiasts. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is terrible cynicism enveloping well, the only idea. It's, it's like Miranda said. Out. It's like you, if you haven't propagated any leaders, yes. no, then no. where? What do you have? A leaderless? Well, hang on, no, uh, George. I know that you're going to be able to. It's like if you walk around the street to Chinatown and, and there's a shitty restaurant, and you go, "Oh, this is shit. Who's the owner? Well, let's get rid of him. No, let's go next door to the buffet." My point being yeah. <laughs> that the buffet would be a leaderless. <laughs> be, at the buffet, you never go, who's the owner? This is shit. You just go, it's shit because it's a buffet. There is no leader. There's been some amazing stuff going on there. I, I was there at a debate we were having with the Corporation of the City of London, which is this weird, shadowy organization, which is kind of half a local authority and half the agents of Mordor, and they're very, very <laughs> odd this, bunch. This, and, I, it, and it, it was goes back to the days, literally, of, Mordor, yeah, uh, of yeah, Dick yeah, Whittington. Yeah, not yeah, quite yeah, not Mordor, before. but, no, you know, no, no, pretty it, close. It, it, no, it goes back from before the Norman Conquest, wow. these bunch. And they've still got a sort of set of rules and institutions which date back before the Norman Conquest, totally pre-democratic, completely anti-diluvian. <laughs> And we, we had this extraordinary debate. I mean, you know, fair play to the people from the corporation to, to, for turning up. But there were these amazing moments. For instance, there was this one point where this guy said, well, you know, we at the corporation, we've always been friends of democracy. And, um, you know, we've stood up for the people against oppressive power. And this bloke in the audience, you know, on the steps of St. Paul's, you know, made, bloke in the audience stands up and says, if so, how come in Mansion House, which is the Lord Mayor's residence, how can we mention this house? There's a stained glass window depicting the, um, the Lord Mayor sticking a sword through Wat Tyler. It was precious. It was, it was like the Putney debates of 1647. It was one of those I was just historic moments. <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect a bunch of people to stick their tents there and everybody to walk out of the, the, the great big tower blocks where, where the banks are and say, Okay, it's a fair cop. I don't know what we, we, we expect. We give up our bonuses. No. The, the, the politics doesn't work like that. You know, what, what you do is you galvanize public opinion, you put things in front of people which, which they weren't really seeing before, and people suddenly see stuff which, which was invisible, and then you mobilize and you start to push for change. But, uh, you know, as Richard said earlier, it's a long process. It doesn't happen all at once. There's a real sense that, that people are beginning at last to turn around and say, just who are these tossers who have been running yes. this system for so long, regardless of who's in power? But you know, the real um, powers, the, the, which are the city, which are the corporations, finance in general, but also these sort of these pure faceless technocrats who get stuck in stuck into office in order effectively to voice, um, be the voice of that power. I think people are waking up to that. Are you waking up to that? I, I, do, do you not think there's a, I mean, I would, you know, my heart would definitely agree with that, but do you not think that the, we have a problem? Because it, that the, if you look at situations like, for instance, in Europe where, you know, everything's going haywire with the finances, what, happen, what has happened in Italy is they've got rid of a government and put all the faceless 
yeah. kind of technocrats in, so that they're still in a kind of situation of crisis. There's still some kind of belief that these people know more about money than politicians do, or you or I do, or anything like that. So therefore, because everything is in a kind of state of fiscal crisis, these people are going to be people. I, people I, I don't think savings. that belief is coming from the people. No, no, I agree. I think it's but coming they still from the get, international they still monetary get put in. They still get yeah. put in no, no matter what. That's the problem, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I would agree with Wouldn't you. Wouldn't anybody be better than Berlusconi? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure. I wouldn't really want him no. to run my bank that's account or anything else. But, you know, the, yeah. that's the problem. But I think, they I think, I think be be better than Berlusconi no. is not what you put in your CV. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> you really don't But want it's that, actually you. where the, the Italian <laughs> government is, and that's the problem. Yeah. But I think all around the world, people have... I mean, we went through 30 years after Thatcher and Reagan being told cut taxes on the rich, deregulate the economy, break the trade unions, and we'd all be better off. Now we realize what a complete pack of shit that was we were selling. <laughs> and people are looking for an alternative. And, I mean, you all jump on me for this, but when Ed Miliband talks about predator capitalism, he is trying to articulate that. In a sense, Obama, who I, I share your disappointment about Obama, but now taking a more class-based approach to all of this stuff, I think, we could be at a turning point of politics that comes once in a generation. Right. Oh, don't sign. No, well, I'm like Miranda. I really want to believe you, but as, as Just George... Just vote for as well, <laughs> <laughs> You might be all right this Give time. Give yourself okay. to me. I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back in Mordor. <laughs> we are going to take, take an interval now. Uh, we will see you in 15 minutes. Guilty of corruption in France this week, Jacques Chirac has been spared a custodial sentence due in part to poor health and a failing memory. He has said he was unaware of any wrongdoing, which means Jacques Chirac must be French for James Murdoch. Elsewhere, the Daily Mirror has accused David Attenborough not only of faking footage in Frozen Planet, but also of hacking polar bears' phones. <laughs> the Daily Mail is unsure where it stands on this issue. Because although the bears are foreign... They're also white. <laughs> and finally, George Osborne has blamed the high price of Brussels sprouts on Brussels. <laughs> With the song that he composed in the interval from your, frankly, rather poor suggestions. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mitch Ben. Cool topics at hand were pandas, uh, Conrad Murray, bendy buses, and something I initially dismissed out of hand as a bit vague, which is the Occupy movement, but then upon reflection, I realized that a bit vague is the whole damn point of the Occupy movement. Because while on the one hand it can never entirely claim victory, it can never also claim defeat for the simple reason that nobody really knows what it is. And if all its aims are occupying stuff, and all occupying is is being in a place, 
it can pretty much claim that everybody who is occupying space and having mass is on their side. <laughs> Which, from a purely particle physics point of view, is quite inclusive. So, uh. Occupy everything. Tell the man that we all want what's his. Occupy everything. We're rebels with a cause, not sure what it is. On the streets, things are getting intense. Everybody's getting intense. Is this the British Spring? Occupy everything. If we decide that everyone's with us, whether they know it or not, we can't fail. Conrad Murray's not been sent down. He's occupying jail. There's a couple of Chinese pandas occupying Edinburgh Zoo. If you're outdoors, you're occupying the street and on a bendy bus, you can occupy too. Occupy everything. Be a one-man protest wherever you be. Occupy everything. Sit at home and occupy your city. If we acclaim the allegiance of all mankind, we've already won, I think you'll find. So that is why we sing Occupy Everything. Mitch Ben, thank you very much. Back now to your uh, your panel for this evening, and I, I thought we might sort of personalise it a little in the second half. Ken Livingston, what for you were, was the most important story or, or stories of the year? Well, I suppose one was the fact that a when American forces broke in to Osama bin Laden's bedroom and found him in his pyjamas and unarmed, they shot him because they couldn't put him on trial because he would have been able to reveal that mainly, almost every major um, source of his income had been the Saudi royal family, um, which is right up the backside of the American government. So they decided to just shoot him. And I thought, we went through World War II and at the end of it, we put on trial the Nazis. We all knew they were guilty. Well, I wasn't alive then, but they all knew they were guilty. But they put them on trial because Western civilization is a thousand years of struggle against the divine right of kings and their arbitrary justice to have a rule of law and a right to trial by jury. And the fact they couldn't do it for Osama bin Laden was an indication of just the links between that Islamic fundamentalism and the American establishment. Oh my God, I didn't think anyone would applaud that. <laughs> I found it quite shocking uh, as an event in terms of where it happened, like you say, in clearly a situation in which uh, he could have been captured and not. I found it very bizarre, macabre almost, that picture you had of people in the Pentagon or in the White House looking at the big monitors and the idea was that uh, there was sort of live video feeds from some of the people in part of the... Uh, the team that were carrying out... The, like, like, um, like a Call of Duty helmet cam, mm. apparently. I mean, genuinely. A, a video game where people get killed. Yes, yeah. in real life. Uh, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm not a gamer, but uh, yes, it sounds highly, highly likely. Milad. Milad. And then that, that shot, you have a people just staring at the screen looking like that, uh, which at first I assume was the look on people's face, seeing uh, a, uh, you know, a terrorist being shot through the head. But... Uh, Apparently there were technical hitches, and what they're doing that is because across the screen at the moment they're just about to see him get shot. It actually says "buffering, please wait." <laughs> <laughs> How did it play at home, Rich Hall? Uh, I think there uh, there's probably still people in America just getting out of the hospital from high five accidents. 
obviously very personal, but, uh, you know. <laughs> the guy had uh, three wives and 23 kids, and he hadn't left the house in five years. He was a couple of days away from calling up anyone and going, <laughs> come shoot me in the fucking head. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. Well, <laughs> and that would have been great had that, had that just been uh, that just enough news, you know? He's dead, okay, but because of the way news un unfurls now, then you start to get all the trivial bits, which in a, in a sense take away from, you know, the, the kind of the gravity of the situation is that, oh, now we know he, he dyed his beard. I don't yes. want to know that. <laughs> you know, there's a guy who's, you know, <laughs> sending out for nuclear triggers and nice and easy <laughs> at the same time. It also seemed to be a major contribution to the global conspiracy industry. You know, you, you, you kill this guy, you don't take any photos, you don't release any photos, you dispose of the body before anyone can see it. I mean, about somewhere on the internet is a site claiming that Lord Lucan has now hired Osama to ride Shergar in the Epsom Dharma. It's easy to kick this around as a slightly joking, but why did Nazism never recur in Europe? It's because at those trials, all of those Nazi leaders had to sit through a recounting of the horrors they'd done. And the Nazi vote in Germany never was more than about 5 or 6%. And we've lost the chance. Osama bin Laden should have been put on trial. He should have been challenged about what he's done. And that would have been the most defining way of undermining fanatics who believe he had some answer. He will remain a hero for millions of young fanatics who think hey, there's a whole conspiracy. And that's in the interests of the West, is it, for him to remain a hero? No, no. No, no, it's a mistake. It's, it's, it's the, mis the mistake we've made. He was murdered. I mean, an American president took the decision, kill him rather than put him on trial. We can't put him on trial because... We, we paid, like, the Saudi royal family yes. paid a bin But that's not a secret. Billion, uh, millions of pounds, millions of dollars to fight the, the, the Russian invasion in Afghanistan. We're totally implicated in all this. But know? it's not a secret, that. This is what I, I, I mean, most people... Hang on, it's a secret if you read the bloody Daily Mail. Well, Nobody reads the Daily Mail. Unfortunately, I, one person in five reads the Daily Mail. Yes, the video day. games reviews are excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think, though, by keeping him alive that it would have uh, resulted in possibly thousands of hostages being taken in order to release him, any kind of situation where give us Osama back and we'll give you back you, the... Well, you need to decide what sort of democracy you want. One where a president can decide to have someone killed or one where we have the rule of law and people have a right to a trial by jury. Because that, I think, was what the founding fathers wanted. I, I, I know you disapproved of people making light of the issue, but I, I for the record, oh, give us a chance. I thought... <laughs> I thought the reason why we hadn't seen Nazism resurgent in Europe was because Conservative MPs' friends hadn't been getting married. <laughs> Let's, um, I don't know whether to look forward or back. We can look forward to 2012 and inquire whether any of our panel have strong views on the Olympics. <laughs> or, I'm with, with the clock ticking, we can look back because we've touched very, very briefly and... and, and very casually on, on the riots. I thought that the riots were a kind of really weird rampant consum version of rampant consumerism because if you think about 
the way that um, that we've been told to legitimise ourselves over the over the last kind of ten or fifteen years is by consuming. So you know there used to be a working class, and the working class is now a consuming class. So that if you don't, even if you don't have very much money, the idea is that you have a large telly and probably an Xbox and things like that, a good phone. And so. If you have a, if you've trained people to think like that, and then you take away their money, which is what's happened, then what do you expect? You know, when, when people say, actually, you know what, go out. There's nobody around. You can have that. And also, this sounds really awful, but I've been in situations like the poll tax riots. Riots are quite exciting. You know, <laughs> you get you get a bit caught up in them, and I certainly don't think it's a good idea to go around robbing people or burning people's houses down. I think it's absolutely terrible. But if you're in that moment when everybody else seems to be doing it. I think it's understandable. And I think that the way that the rioters have been treated, some of them who have never done anything awful before, is, is just as shocking as the way that they acted when that happened. George. Throughout the riots, I was manfully resisting the urge to be yet another middle-class journalist saying, yes, I understand this and I feel people's pain. Mm. And I will continue to, res to, 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 to resist that urge because actually, the only people who really understood the riots, I think, were, were the people involved. Unless, unless you see it as, as people stealing HD widescreen TVs so that, so that in the future they could see better quality pictures of more stuff they couldn't afford. <laughs> I would imagine if you're going to steal a big television, uh, you're going to take it home, and after a couple of days, the excitement of that is just going to <laughs> Don't fade, get and you're going to go, oh, great, I got a, I got a new TV, but... You know, I don't have a warranty or anything. <laughs> Ken, what, what, what would you have done? With, I, I, I should ask this question. If you had been mayor, would the riots have unfolded any differently? Well, I wasn't surprised the riots happened because I remember two years into Mrs. Thatcher's government, we had riots all over Britain and one year into Cameron's. And it's a huge change. In, the riots in Brixton in 81, it was very oppressive policing. The thing that sparked this was the, the killing of Mark Duggan. Yeah. And his parents led a protest to Tottenham Police Station. And they waited for four hours. And the mayor wasn't there, the commissioner wasn't there, and no one came out and saw them. And I think you just got to... I mean, when John Charles de Menis, the Brazilian was killed by mistake by the police. We immediately dispatched a, an assistant commissioner to Brazil to talk to the parents, listen to their complaints and so on. You've got to engage with this. So many of the riots, the spark that starts them is insensitive policing. And I, that's what happened with the killing of Mark Duggan. I, I, now, it's no good saying no. I mean, it's happened again and again throughout English history. Then you've actually got the situation. If you're a young person with no prospects whatsoever. You've failed at school, you've been excluded, you're on the streets, and you see James Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch breaking every rule and code. You just say, I mean, I grew up in a world where, in my working class culture in South London, we always said, there's one law for us and there's one law for them. And that's what fuels this, and I want one law for all of us. Miles Jupp. A friend of mine uh, has been caught in two riots accidentally 
in his life. Uh, one, one is unfortunate. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> one, uh, he's called Ash Ditton. He was caught in the poll tax riot um, on his way to see an evening with Sir Peter Eustonor. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, more recently, he was caught in these ones. In, uh, uh, he came out of uh, Peckham Rye Station, uh, unaware that anything had been happening. And, of course, people are... Uh, it's not extraordinary what he's describing to me. People just... Clearly the streets were running all the way uh, down, um, down Rye Lane there, and he was thinking, what's going on? I, he didn't know there was riots going on, he hadn't had his phone on, and uh, things were just happening. And he saw uh, a 16-year-old boy about 10 feet in front of him in the street just suddenly pick up a brick and put it through a car window. And a guy, uh, he stopped and didn't want to do it, another guy was walking down the street, said to the kid, what, what the hell do you think you're doing? And the kid turned around and went, I'm having the best night of my life is what's happening. <laughs> and that is what it felt like. That is like a sort of David Simon couldn't have written that scene. That is, that is, mm. that is exactly the way these people felt at that ha time. How much of Peckham Rye does your friend own? <laughs> oh, Ken. Ken, this will cost you on the trail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Sort of uh, lazy slurs. Um, but uh, no, I was affected very much uh, by the I live in south-east London, and financially it affected me because when the riots happened, I was um, on holiday in the Dordogne. <laughs> and um, you know, people people kept ringing to see if I was all right. <laughs> Ninety-three pence a minute. Yeah. Uh, we can quickly tell you before we go that scientists at CERN have found this evening very strong evidence for the Higgs boson particle, but so far, absolutely nothing to suggest the existence of the Big Society. Uh. <laughs> and finally. George Osborne has just blamed bad economic figures on the economy. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to No Pressure to be festive. And please thank our guests, Miles Jupp, Miranda Sawyer, George Monbiot, Rich Hall, and Ken Livingston. And to play us out, Mitch Ben and the distraction. I'd like to dedicate this last one to the memory of Christopher Hitchens. I'm sure would like me to point out is not looking down on us from anywhere right now. <laughs>
Thank you very much indeed. This has been No Pressure to Be Festive. I'm James O'Brien. Happy Christmas and good night. <laughs>